So like just frame this whole thing up, like what are we talking about? That's, that's hard to answer. Like I think the whole premise behind what we're trying to do is um, just have conversations with people that we admire and, uh, and, and then just, just sort of talk like I, I, I'm big into entrepreneurial, like entrepreneurial people and, and like sort of the business side of, of like what makes people tick. Um, and uh, I guess like it's also part of just like a, an experiment for us to for become sure, man. more I, I totally get it. like it's just it's, you want to see what happens if the camera rolls and maybe there'll be something interesting yeah percolates so and and you know it was it was an easy well it was it's very gracious of you to come on and do this but like the, I think the reason that we wanted to chat with <laughs> you specifically I am gonna <laughs> clean this uh, <laughs> this up <laughs> Um, was because because you do like you do a podcasting right now as well, and that's relatively new. Hey, like you've, oh, you've I, yeah, I, like, I started interviewing people probably this time last year, and I did for seven interviews, and it was all just just trying out like different levels on a microphone yeah. and going, do I use GarageBand? And like I don't have no idea what I was doing. I knew audio a little bit, but I didn't know. I've never mic'd a lot of things before, but uh, for the most part, it was just. I find that when I have conversations with people, I'm like, I really wish I could just recorded that conversation because it was so interesting and I feel like other people would love to hear that. And I don't know if there's an ego part of it, but uh, sometimes you get caught listening to other people and their conversations and you go, how the hell could people talk about that for so long? It's such a terrible topic. And the challenge I'll, I'll give everybody is that you go to a beach Go to a beach, lie down, and for some reason, sound travels really well around you on a beach, and you can just listen to other people talking. And it's just so basic. The conversation that, like, people you just end up hear. I rarely hear a conversation where I'm like, wow, those guys sound like they're just profound. And it's usually about something happening, like, oh my God, did you hear what Becky was doing? Or some guy talking about some jacked up truck and that's fine like and that talk. motivated you no or... but i just felt like when i have conversations with my friends or just have conversations in general i feel like i'm trying to stray away from anything that's super like basic and i remember a friend talking about the levels of conversations that you can talk about other people you can talk about events or you can talk about ideas and it just always stuck with me is just make sure we're not always talking about other people. And I know just as I continue to rip on other people, but it's more <laughs> just to support the idea that I'm, I'm trying to go with. It's that um, just pushing the conversation. And, but at the same time, I don't feel I'm that intelligent. And when I hear sometimes these really deep interviews that are done by journalists, they're really heavy and academic sometimes. And, you know, some, I'll listen to CBC all the time. And 90% of the time, I have no idea, like, where they are in the conversation. Because it's something to do with something very deep, dark, academic, um, to do with astrology or something. And, uh, and I'll realize that, uh, okay, if I was ever going to host a show, it's never going to go that. <laughs> it's never going to be that deep. Or that political. Um, just even, like, John Gormley sometimes, like, just loses me. Because I don't know much about, like, economic reform. So the podcast that I was keeping was more story-based where somebody has something interesting or I just know this person's kind of an interesting person to go off tangent with and talk about just random topics. So, so have you found like there's like 
I mean, I feel like you're the expert here. You're like, we're just starting this. And it's like, have you found like certain things are great for st- stories? Or, or is it kind of like the, the podcasts that people listen to that give you feedback? They, they're the ones that surprise you. Like the ones you think will be great aren't the ones that yeah. people resonate with. You know, I, th- I would say the people who have the most experience just generally talking and, and conversing um, seem to have the, just the natural knack of conversation. Like Charlie Clark, Yann Martell, um, my friends who've worked in media, like I have a few people who are like CTV anchors and reporters. And just talking to them, you can just see that they're just natural. Like they, they can tell a story. They can, they can really weave a story and, and bring you through what's happening. Um, I've had other people who I just have talked to before. And I find all my, the, the interviews interesting because, or else I wouldn't have brought them on. But I can tell just from the, the analytics that some of this, the, they're, not, they're just not scoring as well, I would say. And I don't really know why. But it's maybe the, the subject matter or the quality because I'm just trying to figure out how the hell to like set up my microphones properly or, but the challenge is that I want to do something like this where it's just an hour and I'm lazy and I don't have much time. So I don't want to edit. If you think about NPR, you think about a lot of these other like professional podcasts, they have teams of editors and that's kind of a full-time job. I never wanted this to be a full-time job. I wanted to come up with a, an intro and an outro, a way I can just, record an intro or a preamble before I just set up the interview, barely touch that interview. It's more just the levels and just let it be more of a conversation. Um, a lot of, a lot of podcasts end up having, um, you know, sound effects and they're trying to weave you through a story and they chop it up and they, and they, the narrator comes back to introduce the next segment. Like that's, that's heavy duty editing that, that takes a week probably to get perfect. Yeah. Um, I would, and I also would assume that, a lot of the people that you've been speaking with so far have been people that you have some prior relationship with. So you already kind of have a couple of things that you can speak to them about, like you were saying, but as far as like doing research with people, like as, as you continue to grow and, and as you continue to grow your audience and, and start speaking with more people, um, is that something that you plan on doing? Or are you going to like, how, how much of your time are you going to let this take up? And are you, know, you going to be able to do that? I just did an interview with somebody that I kind of knew but didn't know very, very well. And that was the person who climbed Everest. And these things are pretty intimate because you can't, I, like, I invite you to my house because it's actually the place that has the best kind of studio kind of quality. At work, I just realized I could just set up in an office, but there's this like hum or this background noise yeah. that's always there that you wouldn't have regularly noticed during the day. But when you're trying to have complete silence, I don't know how to like adjust the events in this giant building. <laughs> so I just, I have people come to my house and now I'm, uh, I'm realizing that I, I probably do better with people I have uh, a deeper background with because we can pull out like funny stories and we know you basically have played off of each other at work or in some sort of friendship. But uh, it is a, it is something I'm always just learning every interview. I'm going, okay, like, why was that successful or why do I think that was more entertaining than the last one? But research is uh, something I'm scared of because like, I've had to like read books before. Like Yann Martell came on and I've, I didn't read Life of Pi, but I definitely was like trying to blast through much of it to be able to have him to come on and I watched the movie. So you're dedicating like hours just to have that one hour conversation with him. But I think that's the respect you probably should give. That was gonna, yeah. To the person. And sometimes if I know a friend, it's the easiest one. They can just come on, we can talk about sports or something uh, that we've always talked about. And Betty Ann Hagee is, um, she's like a 
powerhouse I would call her like Oprah of Canada and she she wrote a book and I just emailed her and said hey do you want to come on my podcast and we have like a relationship from a long, long time ago and she said you bet I'm in town 2 p.m. this day I'm gonna send you a copy of my book and then we can talk about it I'm like whoa but it's very so, official like yeah well she's and she's but she's also trying to promote a book as well so I think it's like it's a symbiotic relationship she's someone very notable who is you know, looked up looked up to in Saskatoon or Saskatchewan in Canada so I the, and I'm reading your book and I'm definitely enjoying it too. It's all about gender physics and uh, understanding that there's masculine energy and feminine energy. It doesn't. It's not like completely uh, reserved for men or women. It's just that these two types of energies that you have and the balance you need to be a successful leader. Because sometimes you can lean too far to one side. So it's actually like something I'm thinking about as I actively work at Zoo. So yeah, that's a good segue. So. I guess give us some more context uh, about what you do during the day when you're not doing podcasts. Oh yeah, when I'm actually sitting at a desk. I'm doing a lot of stuff. It's funny because I would say every year feels like a different type of work almost. And you know, we all work kind of in a similar industry where things are always changing so quickly. And if you think about when I started Zoo in 2002, like that sounds bananas that I would have been like 22 or something when I started that company or started with the company. It was all websites, just, just standard websites. Did. Like that was, that was it. And there's a lot of companies who did websites too. And it blows my mind that we're still around and we haven't turned into a startup. We haven't pivoted. We literally have just been a consultancy that does design and kind of advocates for um, the user. And it, that, that's a principle that's never changed. And I, I don't know if that was by design, but I've always said the way the company's operated, we've just uh, blind, we've walked blindfoldedly in the right direction, always. We've never been like these slick MBA, Harvard graduates or anything. We're just normal business dudes in this very complex um, industry of, of internet, like the entire internet. We could have went in all different directions. But we're landing in a really nice sweet spot where we're essentially what a web design firm should have graduated to and into this kind of design consultancy where we like leverage technology, but also solve like pretty complex business problems, all from change management to design. To like, would you say that management. was like you're landing there because of luck and other companies haven't graduated or like what's those like, is it a chance thing or is this just like your company? was always able to do things with a design. I've said that we were either too dumb to not start something early on that would have caught fire because we thought of a lot of different ideas that are actually being done right now. I remember t coming to Tony's office and talking about like an online scheduling system in 2003 to talk about how we could template scheduling systems, whether it's external or internal. Those are essentially the coconut calendar and the seven shifts. Like it's, could we have created something? We created like WordPress before WordPress was a thing. We created like a content management system. Like a lot of companies built their own content management systems, but in 1999, like Zoo won like a Sabex or an Abex award for best new product and it was a content management system where you could update your website through a WYSIWYG editor. And <laughs> it was the big thing. We, ran, we rode that thing for 10 years, but it was just like on the clunkiest code. It just got updated poorly. And now it's got replaced by Drupal, WordPress, Joomla, like Wix, Squarespace, all of those kind of big foundational ones that are built by communities. And so 
could we have leveraged that? Could we, if we were in Silicon Valley, if we were in the right climate, could we have actually hit it out of the park? We thought about yearbook, you know, like profile, instead of doing a yearbook, you could have a, a, a profile of your headshot with your name, where you're living, and it could just continually go with you as you get older. So you didn't need a yearbook. You could always keep tabs on this headshot. Sounds a lot like Facebook. Yeah. You know, we had that in 2002, just the idea of it. When, when I got hired at the company, we were working on WebEx, like the actual concept of WebEx, and they got a grant to hire me to come up with the marketing plan for it. And you think we were able to push PowerPoint slides remotely through the internet. So yeah, like it sounds like nothing now, but in 2002, we were running annual meetings for big publicly traded companies and we could push the slide as the president was talking on this live thing, but the slide would change all across the world in real time. And it was done in flash, which is now a dead technology. And that was WebEx before it was WebEx. And to turn our company into that would have completely changed who we are. But we said, are, were we terrible business people to not realize what it took? Or were we just smart and rode what we were good at, which was the consulting side? So, but yeah, I, you know, as a group, we all decided to go towards where we are today, I think. And where we are today is this design consultancy that helps big organizations leverage technology, but also use like design thinking and human-centered design approaches to design services, products, brands, experiences. How much education is required for somebody to understand the value and like that you pay for design thinking? I would assume that there's probably, there was probably a period of time where people would just be presenting problems to you and they'd be expecting for there to be sort of a candid conversation where some of these things would be like the, the beginnings of design thinking, a formalized structure for di design thinking was just sort of Brainstorming. happening. Yeah. And yeah. And it, the, the funny thing is that brains, I mean, design thinking, if you look at all the steps in it, it's not like, it's not like anything brand new. Like everybody knew how to do an icebreaker. Anybody, everybody knew how to brainstorm in some sort of way. There's all these different frameworks. And um, I think it's just a, a, a coined term for just agile and iterative prototyping and testing and making sure that you're, you're going quicker with smaller ideas rather than taking six months or a year to build something without testing it, without asking um, the public or the user, is this something you would actually use? It's not, it's not any more complicated than that. We always say the concept of it, super easy to understand. Like it's classroom level stuff. Like if a teacher could come in, go in front, walk people through it, it's actually putting it into practice. And you have these real legacy organizations with crazy governance structures that have just are built to think one way. And our goal is to go in there and be some wild card consulting company that helps executives and leaders think a different way and show them in a small little way how you could be nimble and, and come up with a product idea and launch it in record time. And doing this in governments and publicly traded organizations is kind of our MO right now, so. You told me about this, we had a conversation last year, um, and you recommended two books. One was Google, and one was the Stanford one. What, what were they Yeah, it was like the, the, uh, the human, well, the Stanford, it's the D school, and it's basically manuals of like exercises. Because the, the one book was like, it had, um, it had this story in it about a, a pottery class. I don't remember which book it was, 
but it was like one part of the pottery class was told to make the best pot they could mm -hmm. and then the other one was told to make as many pots as they could mm -hmm. and then the 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 uh the, the part of the class that made as many as they could made the best pot like at the right. end of the year or semester exactly. and i like that kind of stuck with me it's actually kind of like these tv shows that we're making and like just like so many things in the last year since reading that i'm just like i'm just like pumping things out and like trying to churn well, and that's where entrepreneurship and... comes in, right? It's like you're trying something and to think that you're going to be hitting it out of the park right off the bat. If you think about all the iterations of what business, your business is today versus your business, what you probably thought you're starting doing versus what you're actually doing, it's quite different. And you have to kind of adapt and you have to be able to try things. And like, even at Zoo, like we're like 35 to 40 people. We still have to force ourselves to like think that way because even at that size, this, how old we are, we sometimes don't take our own medicine and we get stuck in conventional thinking, which is funny because we're always trying to like get other organizations to think differently. The funniest thing about us is we're, I'm working on a consulting uh, project right now to get everybody to use this new expense program. So how to claim your expenses internally, like huge, huge organization. And it's basically take a picture with your receipt take a picture of your receipt so you can claim it so you don't have to staple your receipts to get your money back. It's just like a, a, an expense claim management system. And we're trying to teach people how to use this really new system and everything. Like we don't even have that. Like our office is digital, but we have the oldest expense claim management program. So much so that we use it as an example of like a journey map to show where the pain points are. And it's just comical that like we, you know, we still don't have a tool internally so we can take a picture of our our receipts so we have to keep our receipts like a hillbilly in our pouches or in our backpacks you lose them sometimes you have to go chase them down it's just the biggest pain point for people who travel a lot but yeah it's funny we're just you know as futuristic as we are we're still like so behind sometimes so do you do you guys ever work with um like third parties to help you with some of your own challenges in-house or do you do you try and master those internally? You know, yeah i think for a long time we were like we should be able to figure everything out but like recently you know within the last like five to seven years i've we've brought in consultants because you know just in life if you need help doing something you bring in some sort of expert so sometimes we'll bring in somebody who's like a revenue or a sales expert to help set up a crm and teach us how to how you should be doing prospecting and sometimes we'll do professional development and send our guys out and we do a lot of training on how to run and facilitate workshops and to the point now we're running those things and teaching people how to run workshops but you have to start somewhere and for a long time we thought that we could build every piece of software that we ever would need because it's all web-based and then you start evaluating the cost and realizing that out of box it's not the best solution but it definitely will give you you could start the next day versus having to wait six months for it we have like an internal wiki and I think it took like two years for us to get going that has our employee manuals, all these sort of things. Could have probably just picked up something off, off the shelf, but it's a good project for when your times are slow that you can have a project for people to build. But mm -hmm. Are you guys still doing um, like a period of, of work time dedicated to like self-managed projects or, or passion projects? Uh, sometimes we get that like, that's the hardest thing I would say that in our industry, like we have three departments essentially. Like you have strategy, like a billing department. You have strategy, which I'm in. You have design, and then you have development. To have all three of those departments humming and billing all the time, 
every agency will know that that's impossible. Like just to have them full time, always going, especially one that's in house. If you're a consultancy that drops, we call them body shops, like drops an IT person into like the government, that those guys are billing all the time. It doesn't really matter. That's like kind of a different way. It's hard to build a culture that way though. For, but for this internal style office, we're always going like this. Like all the departments are going at different paces. Sometimes we're right now really busy in development in our strategy, but that stuff trickles eventually down to development too as a project so that they can start coding it. So to actually give them time, sometimes they're gonna be overloaded and they won't be able to do like whatever the Google 10% time or whatever. To be able to do that, it's, it's really tough. But what we do have is a really good forecast for operations to understand when we're gonna have some downtimes. And it's operations, project management, internal teams to, to understand what are we gonna work on when we're waiting for this project to kind of kick off. So it's rare that somebody will just be sitting there twiddling their thumbs. 10 years ago though, we would hit that problem. All of a sudden we'd realize, holy, with no foresight, no forecasting, all of a sudden, oh, they're done. Oh, there's literally nothing for that group to do for a month. Like that's pretty stressful to run an organization that way. And you can imagine like we were related to critical mass, this 800 person firm out in Calgary at one, one point, their owner was even like, man, he goes, imagine that happening at a scale of 800, like the cash flow crunch that you get into. Um, but we're so much better at understanding like when a person or a team is going to be down so we can actually build some value application or tool to do that. And that's one thing that would have saved us years ago because you know, a few years ago, like there's recessions that hit and sometimes you hit some real slow periods and you're waiting for projects to start. If it wasn't for all those kind of levers that we had in the organization and these sort of mechanisms to kind of save us from budgeting to forecasting, like we would have been toast. Like I honestly think at one point, but uh, like now we have this really awesome bedrock of like infrastructure in our company that's built. And that's why I said we're like this really mature company in a really immature industry. And I've met with other firms that are like, yeah, we don't even know how to expense a receipt. I'm like, holy man, like how? You know, we were having a really cool, like I, I find it really interesting, a really interesting conversation about um, like the importance of a website in general. And, and I know like some, like there's, depends on the application of the website, but uh, we were talking about like, I guess the validity of, of very basic informational websites moving forward. And uh, I, think I've, I think I've heard you talk about this a little bit, but um, like we're, we're having this conversation about like how relevant is it gonna be for a small business to have a website in five years? Man, I don't know where we're going even for that. Because some people can get away with a Facebook page. And sometimes when I see, when I search a very small thing that I just need a very little piece of information for, I'm sometimes surprised that they actually have a website now. And that wasn't like that five years ago. You'd always be like, where's their website? You need to know it. But you can get information at the smallest level from a lot of different channels. But a website kind of solidifies you and val validates you a bit in, in users' minds still, I would imagine. My big question is like in five years, like how much of the web is going to be experienced through a visual component or a visual uh, experience? There's so much going towards AI, voice, machine learning, all these sort of different ways that you can interact with a database. So that's essentially what your website is, is some sort of like base of data where you can access it without using a screen. So we constantly talk with our department, our, our design department going, we are experienced designers. So eventually we're gonna have to understand how people interact with chatbots, with voice, 
or like an Amazon Alexa, because for certain just really uh, casual commoditized data, sometimes you don't need to go search, click, find out. You should just be able to go, what time is Home Depot open? Yeah. That's probably 90% of the stuff you're actually searching. It's only when you're maybe at night you want to read an article and watch a video. And I think there's still elements of that that you still want to do, but to actually search it, it's more just like, show me the Raptor highlights. Boom. That's it. Uh, so it eliminates a huge component like, and huge process of design. Like, would you almost have a category of like that type of information? Like, let's say like in my household, we use, my wife uses the internet to shop. Like she's literally on websites to shop, like, mm -hmm. which I don't do. For sure. Like, I guess I use Amazon, but like mm -hmm. if I want to get information on when's Home Depot open, that's a certain type of information. Mm -hmm. Shopping, I want to experience like the item perhaps. For and sure. like, is, do you, is there like this bucket of, or these buckets of information that like you could start to process all information into for that experience in the future. Yeah, and everything's gonna come in through different mediums. Like for example, it could just be your TV. It could be like a hologram like where you're cooking and it just like shows like a 3D version of it. Cause you have to imagine like the stuff we're gonna be wearing over our face, like the Google Glass is just a prototype. There is going to be like more immersive experiences with some sort of um, heads up display on glasses or headsets where that is going to be kind of the norm if you want and if you want a more immersive experience to watch um, and look at products. You're going to be able to like almost touch and spin around and feel and envision shoes on your feet. Um, I think the experiences are just going to just blow us away that we're going to be able to make decisions so quick and it, it is going to be a little bit scary for stores because right now you still want that tactical feel of like what to try on a dress or try on a shirt or try on a backpack. Like when we can actually recreate that to almost that it's real, I think that stores might be in trouble, but, and same with all the experiences too. Like, and then we haven't even talked about what's going to happen with cars. Like yeah. the, it's like, a, it's, it's, it's nuts. And I just, I can't predict anything, but I'm really curious about it because we have to be aware of what's going to happen with our business in that, in, in that world. Like there's going to be hyper, uh, focused consultancies that are going to know how to do that one thing really, really well. So us being this kind of broad knowledge, design thinking, innovation firm, hopefully there's a space for us. Like, do you think it's, there's a danger like you could latch too early onto something you think is the way it's going to go and then oh, you're like sure. too invested in that too? Like That's why I always said I'm so amazed that we're still relevant and we're still doing and we're doing better than we've ever done today because of all the things that could have distracted us from 19, when 1904, 1994, when the company started to when I started 2002, just that leap every five years, something massive happens. Um, whether it's the mobile revolution, where it's the social revolution, whether it's the AI revolution, um, and it turns into the voice revolution, all those things can permeate so many different business ideas. And I can't, I'm not gonna lie that we literally thought of all these different business platforms and ideas that we could have switched the company to, you know, some slow years, you, it tugs at you to think, well, maybe we could switch the whole company to do this. We never did. And we just knew that there's always like, we had some pretty big anchor clients that were able to pay. And we at one point had like 80% of our revenue coming from two or three clients, which is very scary. Mm -hmm. And we're way more diversified now. And we just knew that we were riding that for way too long. 
Um, but I'm really surprised that like today we're just really, like we got a really even set of clients spread across the different disciplines. And I, I don't know, maybe it was by design, but like I think it was management that got all on the same page. And I can't stress how important that is to have your executives all on the same page because then nobody's pulling you in a different direction. And at times we had that. We all had different interests and different beliefs of where the company should go. But now I think we're really locked and loaded to know exactly where we're going and it's actually quite refreshing. So, so how's work with you? Like good. Yeah. Still plugging away. Um, yeah, we're, we're doing really well right now. Um, busy We're we're lean as far as like expenses go. Yeah. Well, that's um, good, man. Like every company needs to like learn how to work lean, you know? Yeah. I think it's like, it's like resetting, um, the realities of what a 40 hour work week at Uninc looks like for mm-hmm. everybody that works. Were you, with burn, you right were, were you kind of burning the candle kind of thing? Well, we are now like mm-hmm. right now we are, I would mm-hmm. say like in the past, like, I don't know. Like we're, we were fine. Like nobody was like slacking, but like everybody's, everybody's very mindful of where their time goes because we just have a lot of deadlines right now. Yeah. So, um, I, have I, your staff felt the scare? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, both ways. Like right now, I think there's a lot of fatigue and a lot of people and it's, it's fair. Uh, but I think we're, we're all just trying to adjust to like the new reality of, yeah. of what work looks like. And it's forcing us to do a lot of things that I wish I were better at when things were a little, a little less chaotic. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not great at developing processes, long-standing processes that are really, really well thought out. Oh, yeah. um, when things are like easy, because I, I'll think of a lot of hypotheticals and yeah. I'll, I'll theorize on how I think things are actually going to go down, and then the reality isn't always the same, or it often isn't. Mm-hmm. But I find like trying to uh, really identify some of the pain points, especially when we're, when we're in the thick of it, is like a really great way of us determining real world solutions to some of the problems that we're facing. Yeah, because you're right in it. Yeah, so we're doing that right now. And actually it's like bringing everybody together because we have to communicate or forced to communicate better and mm-hmm. we're forced to really figure it out. And, and so people are working a little bit longer a little bit longer hours than maybe they had been in the past, and and that sucks. Nobody likes doing but that. Are they but engaged while they're like they're absolutely? I'm I'm very very fortunate. The people that I'm working with right now have been with me for years. Yeah. So uh, everybody, I feel really comfortable about everybody speaking on my behalf. And I was always I've always been a bit of a control freak about how about how I'm represented or how the things that I'm associated are represented. But I feel really good about all that stuff. And you're in here? Like, yeah, I'm two floors up. Okay. That's how we met. So nice. five, five or six years ago, six years ago, Facebook told me yesterday. Yeah. Friends of proximity, friends <laughs> by proximity. So do you feel like it's a challenge to work on the business and, you know, and in the business or you, do you find yourself like billing and, and working on the project versus trying to like drum up a pipeline and. Oh, t- totally, man. I, I think, well, I think Matt and I, like that's one of the things that I value so much about my relationship with Matt is that um, I definitely have a hard time separating the two and making time, allocating time for both. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody comes to me with, uh, you know, with a, a project that we would be a good fit for and I can win that project, I'm going to take it every time, yeah. 
even if that means that I have to sacrifice some of the really meaningful and important work that I'm doing on sort of sustainability on or for my company. Right. Um, but like Matt's been, um, Matt and I both share that as a value. So like I have, a, I've been paying to go see a business coach and mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm in a room with a bunch of other like-minded people. And once a quarter we get together and do the thing. But uh, Matt, Matt showed me like a, a one page, uh, business plan. Well, it's like a, oh, sort you, of like a quarterly scaling up like a, by Vern Harnish. No, it's like the most boring thing, but it's like a one page strategic plan and you put your like co- a canvas kind of thing. You of... put your quarter on it and you have your big hag down to your like yeah. your rocks for the quarter. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying right now to carve out time to get that done. Um, April, amongst other uh, things, April 9th, today. amongst other Nine things, days late. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying. Uh, it's funny because, like, I talk about that sort of stuff, but we, like, I'm not even in the department of any of that sort of like business operation planning or, or account planning or anything. I'm like solely like working on a client project, and but my duty is more to kind of understand like the future of the department and understanding like what's next for for design thinking and and that sort of stuff. So, I don't really like. Like I have a team, but like they're so we're all so independent because we're just like leading different projects. But we get together and try to like we're really siloed right now. And we're trying to get back together to being a team so we can co-facilitate. But sometimes the nature of the work we're always separate. So, but I I can get you like you're. It's hard for me to think about the team and actually work worry about my project that is like always like pushing hard. Well, so here's a here's another wrench. Um, I I'm also like. I think I'm also facing that uh, that struggle that you were just talking about, like with with companies as they grow, they can sometimes find a niche or, or find find different things that are sort of mm-hmm. like side side projects be, that become main projects, maybe. Yeah. And uh, I, I call it my um, I, I call it like a, just like a passion project. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm doing that on the side too, but that's taking up more and more of my time, and mm-hmm. and then. Like now I'm, now I'm forced to work longer hours and then I get a little miserable when I get home. But, um, yeah, like, and I guess that's, uh, that was like really interesting to hear you talk about that because I, I know that there's, there's definitely times in my office where people are a little concerned about, um, you know, like, am I still all here? Like, we're all here. Like, are you still all here? And, And the answer is of course, yes. But, um, you have to do a gut check with your company to go. Is the thing that we're doing every day still something we'd like to do? Because if it isn't, then you're going to constantly be distracted by a shiny object of something. Because this industry, can you imagine when we were our parents' age, like when they were working like in the 80s or 90s, there's probably not that much distracting, cool things happening, really. Like there's no, like, there's no massive advance in technology from the 80s to like, the 80s to the 90s, for sure. When the internet hit, it really changed a lot of stuff. But there's just not many things. It was like you either were selling TVs at the brick or you can go to Sears and sell the TV. It, like you just jumped industries. But now there's this industries upon industries. There's guys making millions of dollars playing video games from their house. There's guys making millions of dollars making fart videos on the internet. Um, there's guys making millions of dollars doing nothing outside of just looking good. And they have followers and then they just Instagram and post about a product once a week and that can sustain them to to have a lot of money. It's bananas, right? Like the way that you can make money and do stuff. But I always said, just like professional golf, at a certain point, 
your profession turns really boring. Like you gotta imagine golfers probably hate golfing for fun. And it changes the way that you look at stuff. Like you can, you talk to a lot of influencers, people who are on social media, if you talk to them, they're like, they're struggling with a lot of things. They're never like got it all figured out. It's well, almost they like hate. they know what the end game of this whole thing and is. And they hate Instagram. They hate Every it. time I talk to one of these people, it's like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what I think about Instagram anymore. It's like, yeah. And the struggle to keep up all the time. And that was our problem. That's probably one reason we got into design thinking or just a process more than a technology is because you got to when you root yourself in some sort of framework or process, it's applicable to whenever technology changes, just the principles of how you would approach a project or a, a challenge. With technology, it's always changing. And I didn't like it when I was speaking and people were like, what do you think of the new changes to Adobe Acrobat or what? I'm like, I, man, I don't know. Like, I never pay attention to that stuff. And I think like your, your department that you're working in is sort of transcended, to, like you, you guys are consultants now, like your, your is, department's yeah. consulting and I think that's another thing that that in my in my day job, uh, we always start with retainers and we list out a bunch of deliverables. That way, I can I can uh, schedule and, and calculate how much time and how many man hours and what it looks like on our end. It creates um, a schedule for for the clients that we work with and and their billing department knows what to expect, mm -hmm. which which they like. But after a period of time, we always stray from that retainer and end up, it's, it's through building trust. Mm -hmm. We need to build trust with the people that oh, we work sure. with and show them like, hey, I can be structured enough working in a creative digital world. I can still be structured enough to meet the deliverables, mm -hmm. but I bet you there's more that we could do. And I bet you we're leaving stuff on the table mm -hmm. by not having a more candid conversation around other things that are in your world and other problems that that we might be able to solve and let's let's just start cherry picking and removing some some items that were in the retainer before that no longer make sense mm -hmm. and let's let's just have a more fluid conversation about like what can be added in and, and what makes more sense for the moment and that happens on all, every project that we work on it's like an RFP comes through or they want you for a certain thing they want you to line by line list off everything that you're going to do on the project and you know very little about it and we always suggest clients to come with us for like maybe a one-day workshop or two-day workshop just to suss through their problem and then we would have a better understanding of like what we're actually up against our whole thing our department is trying to identify the problem and we never really talked like that 10 years ago or 15 years ago it was more like what do you want okay we'll build it and then you start realizing we're building something that actually isn't addressing the, the, the cause of the problem. And so now with the way that we work, we try to break down the problem first so then we can actually together create some statement of work of the solution we need to, to solve that problem. So do you, do you actually help people make what their RFP should be? And yep. then they tender it out to like everyone, maybe hopefully you guys. But. Yeah, we hardly ever see that. It's not usually the case. Like we'll, we'll, they'll come talk to you ahead of times and then they'll usually go write the RFP on their own, but they'll talk to you and then like, I remember one time they, uh, their, the product that got that content management system was called Easy Updater. And it was the only content management system that was around. and clients came and talked to us and they, we told them that like, you probably want some sort of content management system, like, like something like this um, in your RFP because that'll make it easy for you to update your own website. And 
in the RFP, it said must be able to use easy updater, which is like a proprietary like thing that we create. It's not like you oh. can't buy it. And we were like, I remember my bosses are telling me the story and they're like, yeah, I kind of really told it that we were going to win that account because <laughs> there's nobody else who knew how to program it. It wasn't, you can't even do it. Like, so they didn't know that it was even proprietary to us. So, <laughs> but yeah, it happens every once in a while that you're like the whole goal you want to, you want to skirt an RFP. No company in, unless you're like a masochist wants to go through the RFP process because a lot of organizations, if you're big, they kind of RFP software and, and design like they would RFPing like a thousand chairs that they need for an auditorium. Like it's just the list and the requirements and everything is just like this checklist. It's not understanding what their business goals are or like understanding how software actually works. And if you talk to like a business analyst or like an IT business analyst who basically has to check off all the requirements to build this piece of software and explain to him or them how they would design, how to use user-centered design, there's a huge divide between actually creating something that users want to use or checking off a list of requirements. That, that list of requirements is never going to result in something where a user goes, that's amazing. Because you never showed it to them. You never asked them exactly how they want to use it. There's a million ways you could create a contact form. But for them, it's just like contact form. Check. Got it off the list. Here you go. And then you wonder why nobody uses your software. And that's essentially the, how we want to work and convince clients. So your, your first question was about client education, it, about all of the stuff. It, like my job primarily is just client education from the pitch all the way to the very first meeting to the, all the preambles and the explanations and the, 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 the slides that we create is to get them more understood about the process so that they don't ever try to impose their legacy kind of way that they work. And we're working on projects like that where they, they want us as this kind of wild card, like cool, slick company to make them think differently. But their culture sometimes just don't, doesn't allow it. And we end up having to Gantt chart everything and do certain things. And, um, and they realize it at the end that it's not, it's just the nature of the beast sometimes working at that size. Could, um, do you think this could become a norm eventually where like organizations just start functioning at this different level where they like go that way, like they get, you know, like they don't, they don't come to companies saying this is the problem or this is the solution we want you to make. Yeah. Like we have a problem. I do feel like the, the changing of the guard is happening. I've always thought that somebody who's two years away from retirement is maybe the most risky person in a company that's transitioning because that person, it, their eye isn't on technology. They, their eye isn't on this. It's like, I'd admit it. If I was two years away from retirement, whatever's coming in, I don't, I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm like totally thinking the lake. I'm thinking I'm got the lake, gonna retire there, just ride it out, get that pension going. And we've seen it, but the, right now I've never seen so many big companies come in and just say, we're in the middle of this massive change on our back end, like to allow us to do innovation. They all wanna innovate. They all wanna do this new thing, but they're all in the middle of this massive three to five year project that's gonna transform the entire foundation of their organization. Um, talking to some major grocers to even do the click and collect, like a lot of these ones, they're like, we're two or three years out back end wise before we can even do that. I'm like, 
two or three years, like Amazon's gonna be dropping groceries onto your doorstep with their drones. Like it's not, like they're literally testing that all over to figure out how to get like the perishable food into your fridge with the least amount of effort. So things are gonna change and I do see the, the younger folks in organizations are more progressive, you don't even have to be young. I'm, I'm seeing them really uh, like turn their head towards uh, like the agile, more methodical kind of ways and, and going being a little bit more nimble. I, I'm, I'm starting to see it. It's easier to sell, easier to explain. Five years ago, it's, you had to design. The word design is just such a poorly labeled thing. So in our like industry. you're going to do it in Adobe in Photoshop? Photoshop? No, it's yeah. like to me, it's business design. That's what my talk is tomorrow at the <laughs> Saskatoon Club for Sipe. It's going to be all about like dispelling what people think about what design actually is. I just want to say like if you're planning anything or you're, strate- you're creating a strategy for something, there's an, a component that you should be thinking like a designer, not from an aesthetic standpoint, but just on how the whole thing works, whether it's a service, a product, a process, you should be going, okay, this process is designed for somebody. Somebody's going to be going through this process, right? Yeah. Okay. Well then that person is your user. Go talk to them, watch them, engage with them, study them, get some data, design the process, test it out with them. That's no different than how designers think about any sort of thing that you're designing from software to a campaign. They want to do that all the time. So I want to get people to start thinking you're designing that at work. You just don't never call it the word design. And you think the word design is reserved for aesthetics, fonts, colors. Yeah. So why don't we segue into, I'm I'm actually very curious about, first of all, would you, are you where you want to be? Like, is this, is your job? Like, I know you're, you're, you've told me you're a partner. Yeah, like we always say, I'm a minority partner <laughs> in in two ways. <laughs> like, like you've taught, you, you've said you've been there since 2002. 2002, 2003 ish. Yeah, it's like 17, 18 years. Yeah, I'm going into my 18th year in June, which is bananas. I'm like four months away from being a 40 year old man, and like you think about 18 years, that's like great. Your, your grade school, two university degrees, yeah. like two PhDs. Like, like it's a ridiculous amount of time, and it just feels like I just started like yesterday like what keeps you around or yeah I don't know. you know i said consulting going to so many offices and so i get a taste of a lot of different places to work but uh i just look in i love saskatoon i think saskatoon is an amazing place to live if you can if you can afford to go different places fortunately the job takes you here and there and i'm able to kind of not spend all winter here and but i do love it here the summers are great so like knowing that and understanding what companies exist, I always say, you know, you could keep having the FOMO and looking around and and wondering, is there something better for me? Or go, you know what, if I put my head down, I can be part of something really special. And I I feel like I lucked out that I was able to find like two really amazing like mentors and bosses, like Ryan and Tony, awesome guys, amazing mentors. They don't even know it. They're not like, come here, I'm gonna take you under my wing. They're just like cool guys that I like to be around. They're super funny. Um, they were really my style. And I just know that if I worked in a corporate setting, I would probably be fired within six months. And I don't think, I think it just been like one of those things that just your body re- re- rejected. I don't think I could be it. Like the first eight months I spent at another company, but out of school. And I almost had like a nervous breakdown because it was so not who I was. And then when I met Ryan for the first time and Tony, I was just like, this is like, this is exactly the culture I want. They weren't trying too hard. They literally were just weird, funny guys who 
came from the university print shop didn't like the bureaucracy of a massive company so they created this like fun company that they just did whatever they wanted and for me to realize that they're like working on like potash corp and chemical at the time like and they were still having this like real rock and roll attitude in, in the the stuff that they did and <laughs> we did back in the day when all the companies were so serious now the start of communities around there's a lot of digital like so people kind of understand this is like foundation of fun that you should have they were like weird and wacky when we first started. Just even like your timesheet, it was this perfectly presented like timesheet that was printed on a one color press and you had to fill it out every day like on a paper. But just in the label that said fill out your name, it just said groovy person. Like that's your name label. That was a field, the form label on it was groovy person. And I'm just like, of course they would just do that because they can design something, whatever they want. And everything they did was over the top from Christmas parties to internal parties. And I just realized, I'm like, this is where I want to be. And at the time it wasn't that well paying and we were very small and we had a lot of like times where we just had nothing to do. But I just thought, you know what, I'll stick it out. And, you know, eventually I got more of a voice there and was able, we were all able to see stuff. And we went to conferences and started realizing, oh man, all these companies across Canada and the US have the same problems we do. And you realize, oh, we're actually like on track just like they are and we weren't any worse and and I feel like we got something special going on despite the fact that it is a hot industry and you have people leave and you have people come in and yeah, that, that's actually what surprised me the most is like there's such a churn from even what you've told me like um, so many people local startups here like came from came zoo. from zoo and we, we take a lot of pride in that that people who've been there they still come back for to visit or if we ever host a party or you know like there's still this really tight community I I, I look at Zoo, and I don't know, this may be a little bit pompous, I look at this as kind of like Saturday Night Live, like the cast. Like every five years, it feels like we have this sort of different cast makeup, but everybody else, when they leave, goes and does amazing things, and their true calling has come, like really got them. But we also have seen a lot of people return. Like right now we have two people, or three, that have worked elsewhere and have come back. And we just had one come back and just leave again. And so it's, there's an open door policy for people who are really good, who we really enjoyed, and they leave on really good, uh, on good standing. So we're, it's, it's sad to leave, see people leave, but at the same time, we know that they're always gonna do something amazing and they're, always, they're never gonna forget their time. I've always said the orientation, at the beginning of any orientation, this could be like a long lasting career for you, or this could be like a step to the next big thing for you. The only thing we want to do is to make sure you never forget your time here. And that's it. And it's a really simple kind of philosophy. So one of, uh, one of the guys that used to work in this building, he, uh, he, he became a bit of a mentor to me and I, I knew him, uh, I started in the building before I started my company. I was working out of a home office mm -hmm. for a while and uh, I remember having a bunch of conversations with him about wanting to start my business and he really encouraged me to do it. And, and that's sort of what got me going. But uh, afterwards, I remember, I remember a couple of years in starting to uh, stress and, and talk to him about my concerns and fears about losing uh, my first key person yeah. and what that would do to me and how that would ruin me and how that would ruin my business and how it would just be terrible. And he said, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, what, like, like I thought I articulated that pretty well. Like, what mm -hmm. don't you get? And he's like, it's like the whole purpose of you hiring is to hire somebody at a discount because they're they're 
better than their their potential is greater than what you're hiring them at. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see that potential, you're going to foster that in them. At some point, it's going to transition where they're going to be uh, providing way more value to you than than what you're able to compensate them for. And it's gonna hit a it's gonna hit a moment where uh, they're they're gonna have to move on and move out, and and you're going to be a part of that person's process and a part of that person's journey, and that is going to be a huge value add for you. It'll strategically it'll make you better and it'll help you punch above your weight class. Yeah. And and they'll remember you and and you'll like you said like I'm I'm building a little a very very small culture with not only the people in my business but the people that have left my business. And it really changed. It took me, even after hearing it, it took me a long time to become comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was because we were so small that we were completely exposed. But uh, I'm, I'm now at the point where I, I completely agree with that. And I'm so on board with that. And now whenever I work with people, I'm just really excited to see like, like I, I work with people that have their own little side hustle. And I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see like where those things go. And I used to, again, like I used to sometimes feel threatened by some of that stuff. And now I'm just like, I'm all on board. I used to be, like, I would say for the first eight years, anytime somebody quit, it felt like the end of the world. It felt like, why would you ever quit? And they would move on and you'd be like, okay, they were just in the way, let's move on. And it took about, I would say eight years before, whenever you hear somebody quit, you're just like, "Eh." (laughs) and it's now like, like we had our lead technical person quit and we realized, okay, like what have we learned from all the other people quitting? is that whenever somebody quits, there's somebody who's waiting in the wings, who's gonna be amazing at that job. And if you have enough good people, you can realize you can fill that relatively quick. And designers for, for the longest time, like 10 years ago, design seemed to be like such a rarity to actually see somebody who has like a really good eye. But I think the industry of design in Saskatchewan, because there's so many more places actually doing design, there's actually a better pool to pick from now. And so we have a really strong design team, but it would like, to create that team 10 years ago, it would have been like pulling teeth and you're always gonna have one or two people who maybe aren't that great at design, and, but they're still part of the team. So, and I'm, I'm with you. You're eventually gonna to get to a point where you're just almost like immune or just numb to people leaving. It's not like people leave a lot, but it's just anytime they do. And it's just a natural occurrence with any company. And I always said that there's like a certain levels in your organizations that there is just kind of, you hate saying the word revolving door, but it's just, there's just going to be this type of positions that you're gonna expect maybe a one to two year churn between these people. And then you hope that at this level, there's less churn because they hold more importance and the keys to the kind of the intelligence. But um, it's just the industry. Like I always said, it'd be really nice to see a little bit of a recession happen. <laughs> so then, you know, our culture is very strong. I feel like the cultures that aren't so strong might not survive as well. And we have more companies to pick from, but you know, there's always opportunities at, at every turn, whether you think that having all these competition is scary, you can treat it as an opportunity go, well, there's so many more people trained in what we do that I, you know, if I make a good enough case, they might want to come over. So we look at it that way. I didn't know this was going to be such a business talk. I kind of was like, well, I mean, I remember asking you to do it and I was like, we could talk about design. We could talk about, you're like boring. We could talk about about your podcast. And then we opened up with your podcast, which was kind of, yeah. You know what the weird thing about the podcast is? It's funny to, to think that you'd have three hours drinking or just going for coffee with your friend. You never really think about the entertainment value 
of your three hours of conversation. Because you could literally go back to the same topic over and over and swear and, and joke about something and then have two minutes where you're just checking your phone or you're going to the bathroom, you know? But when you're trying to make something that you don't want to edit in an hour, your, your mind is just going crazy about how you want to steer that conversation. And I've caught myself in the podcast, like zoning out because all I'm doing is just thinking about, okay, when he's done talking, I'm going to ask this question. Right. Do you feel like, okay, here's a kind of a candid question. Like, do you feel like you're having to also fill that as like an interviewee? It's today? easier being in the interviewee because you don't care like where it goes. But I can tell like on your end, you have to think about it's a little easier are we with steering? Tourists, but yeah. yeah, you're steering the conversation. But, you know, and I had a lot of feedback from my friends who've listened to the podcast going, you got to let that person finish a story or you let them talk about this one thing too long. And I have some friends who are very heavily, I don't know why, invested in turning this thing into like the highest quality as possible. So they listen to it and they're like, okay, your outro music's a little too long. It sounds like <laughs> you might come back afterwards and say something. So it kind of makes me hang on too long, but it just goes into nothing. And I'm like, man, I can't believe you listened all the way till the outro music faded out. Yeah. And I think, you know, they think because it's fading out, they think my voice is going to come on as a narrator afterwards. Little things like that, I'm, I'm just learning. And I, I, right now, as it starts, as the music comes on, my voice narrates what's going to happen, and then it goes right into the actual podcast. I've thought of doing the, getting the guests to go, hey, this is whatever, you're listening to the new and improved podcast. I have so many different formats that I want to mess around with. It's kind of fun. The best thing about this podcast is for me is that it's 100% up to me to do anything. When you work with a team and you have editors and you're doing other things, sometimes it gets a little bit polluted with other people's ideas and especially with client work. Yeah, we can't even agree on a name, so. Yeah. So <laughs> we're not even really fighting. We just don't even have But one. if you're by yourself, like new and improved, the reason I came up with it is because everything was taken, even the word everything was taken. Like everything was taken podcast is taken. So I'm like, I literally went down the list of all these different things. And the, the reason I just always laughed at companies who were so freaking sugary branded with the ampersand and the plus signs all the time. Yeah, yeah. When you have the Frank and Oak, the Oak and Iron, the, the Oak and Crown, all this stuff. It's just, it's constant. And it's almost like, do you realize, like, after a point of being too trendy, you're going to, like, hate your name in 10 years? Have you seen like, that hipster logo generator? I use that in my presentation uh, <laughs> tomorrow about, like, just the familiarity of design. Like, just because you like something doesn't mean you have a good eye. It's because you're trained to like the familiarity of this design. And I show them how this, the, this, this, the crossed uh, New York hardcore logo from the 70s and 80s is now just this like hipster logo where you have like a cross and it just has four letters and some established date in the bottom. And I literally show them how that is like a pointless thing. Like though it looks good now and you are very amateur at design, you're going to think that's nice. But when you start working in that field, six months into it, you're going to realize that was a terrible mistake because you're not in on the joke. So yeah, and so I chose new and improved because I was walking by this nail studio in like Regina and it was like this Filipino nail studio and it said <laughs> in just tacky font, it said new and improved. And I'm like, that's like the original ampersand or plus sign new and improved. It's like such a common thing. And I said, if I ever spun off my own really pretentious like design firm that was really minimalist, like an ironic name would be new and improved. And I always had that name in the back pocket. So I thought, why don't I just call my podcast new and improved? And 
So that's how I got the name. Because I know you'd asked, but whatever. Love it. <laughs> no, I love it. I love yeah, it. it's it's funny. The podcast is like such a unique experience to do because it forces you to be to have some sort of schedule in your life to make sure that you have content. And but it also has forced me to catch up with a lot of people that I haven't talked to in a long time or and it also forces me to be able to talk about one very specific thing with a friend that I hang out with all the time, but we wouldn't just sit about that topic because it's just like we've talked about it years ago or I just know the story. And Yeah, like example, I've listened to five and I remember like the Daryl. Was that the fire story one with like who was the friend you lived with in Swift? He, oh, Fred Kanji, yeah. The money guy, yeah. The money guy. And like him and I wouldn't ever just reminisce about that thing. But like if we had an arena talking about this prairie fire that we started, it was a perfect arena for it. Or Daryl, like Daryl uh, uh, Finch at the gym, Sexy Jesus, like good looking man bun, owns smokes poutinery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, that was, I think I've listened to that. Yeah, he's like, we talk, we hang out, but I never would just go, Daryl, let's talk about everything to do with being gay. Like, I, you just never do that. But with this podcast, I can just go, hey, like, I want to do an episode about the world of homosexuality and talk about your experience in it. And he was like, let's do it. So it allowed me to ask these questions. And the idea was that I kind of play, well, not play, I am a person who has a lot of knowledge across a lot of topics, but very shallow, like extremely shallow. I can't go deep into politics or religion or anything. I just know a lot about it, a lot of things. <laughs> but here's an opportunity for you get me, to get me a little bit more knowledge on one topic. And so I asked the questions that CBC wouldn't ask. Yeah, it was because very CBC candid. is very. If they're going to do an episode about homosexuality, they would talk about like homosexuality as it relates to the Renaissance era and what it meant or whatever. You know, they would turn it into something academic. While I'm like, dude, like, do you get turned it? on in the change room at Freedom? Exactly. That was and that's the question. question. Was like, what was the answer? He said, he goes, I change before, and I, he goes, if you notice, I change and I leave before everybody's done. And it just, it broke he's my heart. He's self-conscious that people would think he's thinking that. Oh, okay. And yeah. and he's and I. He said, I just kind of look up and I just change and I, I get out and I don't even shower. And I'm like, that's, it's terrible. Like, like, first of all, Freedom is probably the most open type of gym to accept that. And I also told him, I said, you're probably got it wrong. I'm sure most of the guys are actually looking at you because he's actually a very good looking guy. I said, we're like, there's not much to look at on the other end for him. And he laughed. But I said that it's, it's a question that I really wanted to know. And like, we talked way more dirty like afterwards i was like asking him about all these like specific things that happened in like gay sex in, in thailand and yeah but he was a teacher and he just was like talked straight out on the podcast about going to bathhouses and i'm like yeah he just has no fear which is great so yeah that's the one thing about the podcast i really realized and i really appreciate is that i'm able to ask kind of deeper questions about a topic with somebody i'm actually might know well like the one that i released two episodes ago was with my friend Tara, really good friends with her. And she just talked about how she kind of hid this depression from all her friends for like 20 years and deep depression, not like just kind of depressed. It was, it was deep in the way she describes it. And she's like one of the most happy, fun, hilarious people I know. She's like a former reporter on CTV and just full of life. And you would never, ever suspect her to be depressed. And Did she, you know before that interview that no. was even a struggle? She told me, she said, she, she said maybe I can talk about how I, I used running to get cure depression. And I literally didn't even think about it. I was like, sure. And I'm like, I didn't think about like what that actually meant. You know, like to me, when somebody says they were, they were depressed, I thought maybe she would have said like, it was like a 
a year in her life when she was 19 that she did that. But it was like from 15 all the way to like 35, like of dealing with depression and going on all these different meds and hiding it and trying to be super fun. But like behind the scenes, it felt like her entire family died every day. And yeah, it was super deep. That was a good one. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, and she's, she's just a really good speaker. So it, it made it a lot easier. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like I like what you said about uh, scheduling. Like that's that's become a big part of my life uh, in the last couple of years. I say yes to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I make things work. I mm-hmm. figure it out. But uh, you know, you get jammed up when you have too much on your plate, and then mm-hmm. you start letting people down, and then you figure For out, sure. okay, I can't do everything. Yeah. Now I have to schedule. Yeah, it's like the next level of adulthood for me. For and, sure, and it was. It was probably to be honest. Like what happened with podcasting, I've talked about it a long time. I'm just it's like turn I, these cameras back on. For sure, that one I kept like, rolling. The whole what time. caused it was that I actually like was coming out of a ten-year relationship, and it was like super devastating. Like about it, not this January, but last January, it was devastating. It was like four months of just like the the saddest movie level sadness. And I like was this single guy who had like just no responsibility, no kids and just like no direction. And I kind of needed to get into some sort of routine where I had something to be accountable for. I had work, but that has always been in my life. But I feel like I needed something new that would take my mind off of like trying to chase women or like just take my mind off of something that I could just focus a lot of attention onto. So two things saved me, or three things during a breakup, now that we're talking about breakups, is uh, playing guitar. Like talking to Chad when he, I said like, Every time I've broken up with a girl like a decade ago and now, I literally like just leveled up on guitar. Just guys, I'd play like three, four hours a night. If you had nothing to do, I'd just like play it. And it just was just raw fingertips. So, oh yeah, but it was so good for, it was so good for my mental health. The second thing was like making my bed every morning. You make your bed every morning, which I never did. And make sure your dishes don't pile up in the sink. As long as you can stay on top of that, you don't feel like you're kind of fucking up some other part of your life. And, uh, and you're able to keep going because you kind of felt like you fucked up when you break up. But doing that allowed me to kind of stay on top of other things. And like my house became really clean and I felt like it helped me still go to the gym and keep my spirits up. And then the podcasting thing allowed me to kind of have some sort of creative outlet because at Zoo, at work, it's not horribly creative. Like we have like a creative department, so we work with them. But a lot of my thing is like organizing, you know, guys in suits to come up with their ideas and talk about their problems. It's rarely a very creative field anymore for me. So the podcast is something to keep like some sort of regimen going and to have some sort of creative outlet. So, and did you get, like, if you missed a week, I mean, maybe you didn't, but like, well, would someone come and be like, Hey, where's your next one? Yeah. Well, so what happened was I said, uh, what I'm going to do is like interview, 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 and just get like seven or eight in the, the hopper before I even like launch anything. And I didn't have a name for it. I just like brought, turned the mic on, started interviewing people. And that was all the way till like September. Like, so I went from like April to September, just logging in different things. And I had no schedule or time. And then I started getting a little bit more serious and telling a designer, he's like, can you give me a, like a brand for it? And got the brand. And then I start putting up on SoundCloud. Didn't tell anybody. I just like wanted to know how to publish music to or an audio file to the internet. And then finally this platform anchor.fm got released and it was, um, 
it's free. So SoundCloud, you had to pay, but anchor.fm was free and it syndicated everything for you. So I just had to transfer everything over to anchor.fm. And then I did a formal just launch, AKA Facebook post and Instagram post. And if you know me, I haven't posted anything in there for like two years. So that was the first time I like posted anything on there. And uh, then it forced me to go, holy crap, now I gotta like, keep a schedule like, because I hated, I blogged back in the day and you do three blogs and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm not a blogger, I'll quit. Yeah. And it just sits there. So I didn't want this to happen in the same way. So it forces me to, um, to create content. And I think I'm, I think I'm gonna try to stick to it as much as I can. So There's I, no business model in it right now. Do you do like, like we're doing, you're number two tonight, and we're doing one more after actually. Mm -hmm. We're like kind of like, if, it takes a while to set all the cameras up. And, yeah, and for like, you, this is a lot. So you want to knock out a, a lot in a row, eh? Yeah, and like, you know, spring break is in two weeks. And I'm like, okay, I'll take that week off because my and kids don't school. This, and you have to edit this stuff. and it, it. Yeah, it takes one to one. So I can do it real time at least. Plus, let's say 30 minutes of like. Yeah, but having it, multiple cameras, that's going to be tricky. Every me, episode's just, 200 gigs. Yeah. And then it takes three hours to render. So if I just do it, I let it render overnight. That's still, it's, okay. it's still a lot of work though, going to, like, I was trying to be as in and out as possible, like the least amount of effort. And you can kind of tell, cause it's just a conversation and there's no like other <laughs> bells or whistles. Even like the idea of like breaking for an advertisement, I'm like, ah, well, I don't even cut, I don't even, like the first three, there was like, you see me get up and turn the camera on and off. <laughs> so it's like, it is pretty raw. This tonight we're gonna try like after Chad, Chad, you came right before Chad left, but we're mm -hmm. gonna do like a, hey, we had a great conversation. Then yeah. Throw that in the beginning. Is that what you do? Yeah. At like the very right beginning. after they leave, you no, do No, I don't. So I did that once. And I'll tell you, the first few were just killer because I go between trying to ad lib something and I'll try to ad lib something and it'll take about 20 minutes to get it right. I'm just like, delete, reset, delete, reset. And I'm like, Okay, take number four. Welcome to the new and improved podcast. Fuck. Okay, anyway, <laughs> to stop it, and I, I do 20 minutes and I started typing it all out and reading it verbatim. Then it sounded really stiff. And now I'm like trying to go back to being a little bit, write some points, get, and it's a good exercise because then it'll make you a great presenter to be able to ad lib based upon one or two notes. Um, and again, as a person who's always in front of the room, I feel like I have to keep that tool part of my, my tool set sharp. So, and we're, we're just, we're just at the front end of that. Like I, I, I can tell you that doing this with Matt is, is such a good thing for me because I can't even watch these podcasts. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I've I, never listened to a full version. I have of to watch either. them all of them. I, I'm like, yeah, he, you, you, you're forced to watch them. It's, like you're probably tough, learning, man. you, you know, am. you're at least learning from it. So I have to, I'm I have doing, to get I'm, the, I have to get the feedback from you, the critiques from you. Can't I, trust my friends. They're just looking for ammunition. But you look at the worst part of yourself. I don't know of what course. it is. I, is. Do you think there's a person out there who looks at themselves on TV and go, damn, I'm fine. Like I love my voice. Oh yeah. I look I, good. I do you think there's people like that except they're on Instagram, not TV? Yeah. I can't even take a <laughs> selfie of me and I'd be like, there's no way I can take a selfie. I've never taken a selfie where I'm like, man, I look good. That one photo you've taken of me is probably the best photo I've ever had. Like the one that I use. It's great. And I, it's literally, but you know what you did? You went basically like, and I'm just like doing this out of it's a thousand. Spray of those, and pray. One of those things that you'll catch me 
where I think that's why I look normally. 99% of the other photos is like, that doesn't look like me, but that's actually what I look like. Well, yeah, there's what people, th what you look like to people and what you think you look like to people. Well, first of all, we're like- Oh, the, he we're told me that and it just, it just broke my heart. I, I, look I was like, looking at a photo and he's like, that's what you look like, man. That's you. And I'm like, fuck, I And hate you're like, you. that's what I look like? I know, but because I look at the mirror reflection and I go, okay, that's good. But when you know, take a selfie once, I've taken a few, it flips it to what actually people yeah. look like. And you're like, like oh, my heart, my hair's on the other side. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, you look at my part this way. That's bananas. It's a whole other world. Yeah, I don't know. And do you think that's insecurity or do you think that's just normal? Oh, it's like, partially. I don't think I'm terribly insecure, but like, I do not like my voice or my face. Oh, I, the, I my voice. Think, yeah, voice I think is it's hard both. One. But like, insecurity is normal. Like, that is normal, right? I know, like, but, I've had but this the conversation Instagram so many guys times. love it. Sorry? Why do you, there's a, there's a straight divide. There's people who take pictures of themselves so much because they love how they look, maybe. I think so. Those maybe. are actually the hardest people to photograph because like, because you're never doing always it right. flattering angles. And it's like, you know, when I throw like a longer lens on, it's a completely different perspective of like mm -hmm. that. And you're, it's a totally different angle than that you would take of yourself. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And but it, then there's those people who are just naturally good looking and they know it. Like these people, like fucking Jack, Jack and Jeff, and Jeff pieces yeah. of shit. <laughs> that, it looks like I'm at like the uh, Abercrombie and Fitch store right now. Yeah, it's and like I just it's right go. by um, Barry, the Berry Barn there. Like, oh yeah, that's somewhere by the river. That's a gr it's a great photo shoot though. No, it's it's good. I like I. I totally encourage you guys to create content and the, the one thing you're going to get from people is just encouragement. Just keep building that, that, that content because there's going to be an audience out there for it. Like my podcast, I wouldn't listen to it. Do more people listen to it than you thought? Yeah, you know, I'd only get like a couple hundred per episode kind of thing, but uh, those are long engagements. You think about it, they're like mm -hmm. an hour conversation and I have, I've very little promoted it. Like I haven't done anything to try to boost it at all or anything. I literally just put it out, one post, that's it. And I still get a lot of texts and a lot of emails from people like telling me, like to me, that's, that's the right amount of content because podcasts, it's weird. Like you have to pay to see an Avengers movie, you gotta pay to see certain content. Like podcasts, I could, like you could choose mine or you could choose Dak Shepard's. You could choose Amy Schumer's, you could choose NPR, you could choose Reply All. There, there are these million dollar podcasts with million dollar people or mine. There's no, they're all free and you can pick any one. So like, I'm, it's not like I'm like in line with them. I'm hoping that it's a, relevant to a certain amount of people. And I'm a firm believer that one of them will catch. Like one topic you're gonna talk about is going to be very popular with a certain group. But if I do one that's on trans, like a person who's trans or like assigned different at birth, it's going to be popular with a certain audience group. There's a bunch of rednecks probably never going to listen to that thing, but I, I don't care to be super universal. So yeah, you want to be very specific. The Jehovah one I thought was really I'm actually excited to listen. Is that out already? No, I just interviewed her last night. I did Mount Everest on Sunday and then her. So I have like two in the hopper right now, which is really good. And I'm going to do another one with my buddy tomorrow, but just to have like, oh, so you didn't answer, or maybe I didn't ask it. Do you do, like a couple in a day or? No, I just did one, it just happened. Normally I'll just do one and then one on the another, like per week, okay. somebody will come in. But I think the rate that I'm releasing it, like once every couple weeks is fine. Like I don't wanna 
put myself this really unreal expectation. Once every couple of weeks is super manageable. It's very little time for me to get it up and going. Um, the actually writing the blurb that goes on Instagram, yeah. Facebook probably takes longer than me editing it because <laughs> yeah. I have this sort of template where you can just drag and drop and you, as long as I got the mic levels and everything set, it should be okay, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're not being too ambitious about it because it's, it's easy yeah. to be excited at first yeah. and then realize, holy shit, we got so many other things to do. And maybe the last one wasn't as good. It's like a shitty golf game. It makes you not want to golf for a few weeks. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. What, do you have a name for this at all? Not no. quite. Like, yeah, not. Like, uh, even to say what it's dedicated to, like. Yeah, we're still having a hard time. Even that, it's like, mm-hmm. like real conversations. But like, I mean, that's what good podcasts are. Like, yeah. You know, like your the podcasts of yours I've listened to are great. Like, Joe, I love Joe Rogan stuff, but not all of it. Yeah, and the thing is, I always said, like, there's podcasts where I just turn on Joe Rogan. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really digging the interview. I'll shut it off. It's not an insult to Joe Rogan. It's just like, it'd be weird if I wanted to listen to every single one of his. It's just like the same thing with mine. Like you're probably gonna like two out of the eight that you put out. So, but it's gonna stick. If you wanna learn about coffee, like Alicia's right now is probably the least popular. But like, if you're like a coffee fan that wants to learn about like that industry, go ahead, you know? Chris Cole's like the one on being vegan, not very popular. (laughs) I think we really annoyed people because we're eating on air. We're just like, (laughs) and my friends are like, man, it's so annoying. I'm like, I don't know these things. I'm like, that was the second guy I brought in. So my very first one, the guy was like a camp counselor. He got lost at sea for 12 hours. And he was like holding on a piece of wood. His arms were all broken. And he was like lost at sea, ready to die. And then, got fished out in the middle of the night on the, in the Peruvian ocean. <laughs> cra- and now he has this crazy outlook on life, like bananas. He's, he's pretty religious, but uh, I went for lunch with him and his, he was like, I was like, yeah, what's wrong, Mac? He's like, oh, my dad died yesterday. I was like, well, what are you doing eating lunch yeah. with me, man? Are yeah. you okay? He's like, no, you know what? I just considered that I had five extra years since the accident that he had. He's like, I consider that I had five extra years with my dad. So I felt fortunate. I'm like, that's bananas, man. I would be like, I didn't know if he was in shock or anything, but yeah, his dad just had a heart attack and pulled over on the side of the road and died. And he was out for lunch with me the next day. And he was his dad. It's bananas. It's insane.